What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Renee Montgomery, a former WNBA player and current vice president and part owner of the Atlanta Dream. In today's conversation, we discuss winning a national championship at UConn, investing in the WNBA team she played for, growing women's basketball in America, building a media business, and more. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly go over our sponsors. First up is Whoop, the 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself through a hard workout or if you should skip the gym and rest. You can wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go before your run anymore. I've tried virtually every wearable on the market today. The Apple Watch, the Fitbit, the Garmin, the Whoop, and others. And Whoop is by far the best. It's super accurate and has the most advanced data, and I literally wear it 24-7. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering 15% off their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code JOE at checkout. Go to Whoop. W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E, to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Optimize your performance with the all-new Whoop 4.0 today. Next up is Public Rec, an apparel company that makes some of the most comfortable and stylish clothes in the world today. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy old sweatpants? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with athletes and thousands of others, are wearing these daily, and trust me, they live up to the hype. There are more stylish alternative sweatpants, but they are way more comfortable than jeans. Now your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they are definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. All right, let's get into today's episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Joe. Of course, I'm pumped to get you on here. I know we've interacted on Twitter a little bit, so I'm excited to sit down. This is the best part about the podcast. People don't realize <laughs> I would do this for fun if it was up to me, which is uh, <laughs> which is a very good thing. That's um, what's up. I always but, say I meet people on Twitter and then we become homies or we connect in some way at some point. So this is very on par for my normal Twitter festivities. Yeah, I tweeted something out the other day and not to start off on a on a weird track here, but someone was like arguing. I'm like, everyone would get along if we met in person. Like everyone just needs to chill. You know what right. I mean? Like Because you mistoned in the text and the tweets. The tone gets lost. You only get so many characters and everyone gets angry very quickly, but we would all get along in my opinion, most of us at least, if, <laughs> if we just met in person and everyone chilled. But that's the life we live now with everyone online. So it is what it is. All right. So we're only going to go for like 25 minutes today or so. So I want to jump right into it. You are a legend because you opted out of the WNBA. You were a fantastic player. You won a national championship in college, early draft pick, had a long career, ended up opting out in the 2020 season and then officially retiring in 2021 maybe. And then shortly after that, 
you ended up being part of the ownership group that acquired the team that you played for. So there's a lot to unpack there probably, <laughs> but let's hear kind of in your words, just what yeah. happened there and where everything stands today. You know, it's funny because all of those events weren't connected. They ended up being connected in the long run in the grand scheme of things. But when I first opted out, ownership was not a part of the plan. Like I didn't even know that would be an option. I just opted out because my heart was in Atlanta and my heart was with what was going on in the world. And so I opted out trying to see, well, what, what can I do? Like what kind of role can I play here in the A and what kind of momentum can I add to the moments that are happening right now? And so that was my first initial thought process. Then as things started to unfold and play out, I started to hear, you know, some rumblings that, well, the Atlanta Dream team might end up having new ownership. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, what is that about? Had no idea really how to go about it, but I just started to reach out to different VC people that I knew and money people to see, all right, how can we put this thing together? And then I ended up linking up with Northland, who I would I shouldn't just say Northland, but I ended up linking with Suzanne A. Bear and Larry G, who work at Northland and it's a real estate company, but they had already had some ties in the sports community. They already was involved before. And so I started to hear their views and things started to align. And that's really where it came into play for me, where I didn't want to get into a situation that I didn't agree with who I was working with and their thought points. And at this point in the world and where we were, it just wasn't going to work. And there was no concern. And it was all green lights after that. Once we started talking, we kind of both understood that we wanted to do this together. Okay. So the first question off of that is like, what happens in the locker room with the people there? Are they like, are you still one of them or are you like one of the other <laughs> side of the group now? No, nah, it's crazy because like I am on the other side of the group, technically speaking, but you know, when I'm at the games, I dap them up like I'm the homie because it's, it yeah. is a different dynamic because we have people on the team like uh, Tiffany Hayes, who she was at UConn, when I was at UConn, she was one of my teammates when I was playing it for the Atlanta Dream. And now she's a player for the Atlanta Dream and it's free agency. So hopefully we get her back. But now she's a player and I'm in the ownership position and a vice president position. So there's some nuances there. But really, you know, like I try to just keep it real with them and talk and shoot it straight as I would in the locker room. And were you thinking about most of that stuff when it comes to, like, I'm assuming you're thinking about free agency to some degree, right? You want to know who's on the team, not only yourself, but other people. But like, what else do you think about now relative to what you were doing as a player? Uh, brand building. You know, as a player, I wasn't necessarily thinking about building the Atlanta Dreams brand. But now that is one of the main things that I think about. How can we enhance the player lifestyle? Because there's so many things that as a player, I was like, man, I wish we would have done that or I wish we could do this. And so some of those moments were situational, but some of those things are just common sense that why isn't it like that? So that was one of the first things that I was excited about, just to kind of come in and see what we can shake up and how we can raise the quality of life for the players. And I'm assuming part of this was frustration with what was happening in Atlanta with the team before you took over ownership and kind of how the owners were treating people and, and reacting to certain things that were being done in WNBA. But like, how has the WNBA changed, if it has changed in your mind? I think in general, it's not just the WNBA sports has changed because the athlete is now empowered. Like the athlete has a lot of power when it comes to sports. And it definitely wasn't always like that. I mean, it wasn't even like that in 2020 until people started to opt out. You didn't really hear that term beforehand. Opting out wasn't really a choice that players had at their disposal, but now you hear the term all the time. Tennis players opting out of their tournament, Olympians opting out of the Olympics. Like, you know, you hear the term opting out 
And it's something that's new. And I think that's what's changed the most. You know, leagues have to understand that athletes have their own platforms and they can respond from their own platform. That used to not be a thing. That's a good point because I think some of it is obviously related to COVID, right? Which is a unique circumstance in its own. And people are saying, hey, look, if they don't feel comfortable from a health perspective, or maybe yeah. there's something we don't know, it makes sense. Let them opt out. Who are we to judge? But you opted out. Part of it was during COVID, right? But most of it was driven by social activism, right? And you yeah. wanted to feel and be involved with what was happening in the community and what was happening around the country. A hundred percent of that, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did that rub people the wrong way, I guess? Or like, what was the exchange there or the feelings that you got from ownership at the time? You know, I didn't even speak to ownership at the time about that. I just knew I was going to do it. And so I did it. But I would say I was scared for the responses because if you remember, I know you're in the sports world. So the call where all the NBA players were on it and that type of conversation came up, the call got leaked and the fans let everyone know that they didn't want athletes opting out. It was just the general consensus coming from that call. And then I think I opted out probably like a week or so later after the call. So I was actually prepared to receive a lot of backlash. Like that was kind of where my mind was like, you know, people have already let me know, not me personally, but let the world know that they don't want athletes opting out. And here I am about to opt out. So I kind of made peace with it. But the response was very different than what I expected. I mean, it was an outpour of love. Yeah. And that's a good point because I think people probably do things for different reasons, obviously. You obviously said that people had love support. They showed kind of their encouragement. But you mentioned before that you thought there was going to be some kind of, I don't know if uproar is the right word, but some people would be angry, right? Yeah. And did you feel that that was coming from a, hey, just play basketball? Or did you feel that was coming from a like pure entertainment aspect of, hey, we just want to watch you guys. We're not worried about what else is going on. I think it was a little bit of both, but more of the yeah. latter in a sense of, you got to remember, it was a time where people just wanted good news. People just wanted entertainment. And that's why it was difficult because some people didn't understand why it was so important to athletes that while you may want entertainment, there's people losing lives and there's things that are wrong in the world and in our society and in everything. And so I think people just was like, yeah, no, we know there's things wrong, but we really just want our sports. We need something to get away from reality. And that was the hard part because it was like, I get it. Even though this is our everyday reality, that was the part that people couldn't understand. It was like, yeah, that's great that sports helps you get away from that reality, but we can't. And so fans want to watch sports. Like I just had a lit weekend watching the NFL playoffs. It is what it is. Yeah. It's a good point because a lot of people talk about things, right? And everyone says, oh, I would do this. I would do this, but you actually did it. And really, you know, some people will say, hey, she played in the WNBA for a decade. She was an early round pick. She accomplished all these different things, but you eventually essentially gave up on a lifelong dream to go pursue a lot of these other things. So kudos to you on that. But I want to talk a little bit more about the business side of things, right? So when you were actually playing, were you thinking about post-career yet or did that start happening later in your career or were you not thinking about it at all? No, definitely. You know, a lot of people don't know that I have a communications major from UConn. So I already knew that broadcasting and staying around sports and that world was going to be something I wanted to pursue. So even right out of college, I called a couple ESPN games for, you know, some probably D2, D3 games, not no headliners. I was just out there. You, you got you got practice. You got I practice. I got practice. Yeah. So those yeah. things were already kind of happening in my world. It was just with women's basketball, it's so hard to get something off the ground because half of the year I was living wherever my overseas team was in Russia, Israel, Australia, Turkey, France. So half of the year, every year I was in another country. So there would be so many things that I was planning or so many things that I would want to do that just wasn't getting off the ground. And 
until in 2019, that's when I stopped going overseas. Gotcha. So for the people that don't know that might be listening to this, how does that work? Are all WNBA players going overseas? Is it just a select few? Are there certain players that are not doing it? Just walk me through kind of how that process works. Yeah, I mean, when I was playing in, it's so funny, like back in my day, uh, when I was playing, it was like (laughs) uh, most of the WNBA players went. It was just a lifestyle in a sense of you go overseas and you make double or triple or even more the amount of your WNBA salary. So you go over there just to build your income. And so that was a very, very common thing when I was playing, but now athletes and the name image and likeness that's exploded on the scene because of college sports, like athletes got options. Now you see a lot of WNBA players, they're still here and they're not going overseas. And then when you see the athletes unlimited leagues that are starting and there's a one now for women's basketball players have options. And and I love to see it because I didn't necessarily want to go overseas every year, but the WNBA is only in the summer. So you do want to have some type of income coming in in the off season. And when you go overseas, where are you going? Are you going to like destinations or like not so nice places? Nah, you're going where the paycheck leads you, my boy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going where the money. It don't matter. It no, it really doesn't because, like for instance, Russia. Yeah. That was where I played four years in Russia because that's one of the top leagues. Even still now, it's it's the top league overseas. I played in Israel. It really doesn't matter. I say the one place that I did go. Actually, there's two places I went. That was for the destination of it all. Snook, which is my mom, she studied French. So I told her before I retire, I'm going to go play in France so she can come visit. We did that. They stayed in Paris for some time. And then Australia. It was more so like I went over there. It's the time difference is crazy. The flights are crazy to get over there, but it's an experience. You know, they had kangaroo burgers over there. I didn't eat any, but it's just crazy over there. And I wanted to experience that. Yeah. And so you talked about NIL a little bit, and it's obviously different today than it was when you were in college, but you were a very good college basketball player. You won a national championship at UConn. Like, do you ever think about how your life would have been different today in college versus back then? (laughs) Boy, people ask me that so many times that I have to think about it because like UConn obviously is a school that has a lot of media attention, has had a lot of success So it could have translated definitely into dollars. Like, you know, people, I do know that I could have made some money and name, image, and likeness, baby. But I don't know. I just, I'm one of those people that I don't really worry about the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Like, I think that things play themselves out how they should because in the same breath, I don't necessarily know if I wanted to be in the media age while I was in college where everything is tweeted about and everything is recorded. I don't think I wanted that for my college experience. So I'll take it. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic because now you have schools, especially, I mean, college football is obviously the most prevalent one of people throwing around money and and deals. But in a social media age, I feel like it's dangerous. Like you got people taking pictures of cars, all this stuff going out and they got money now, which is a lot different. Everybody got a camera because everybody got a phone. So it's dangerous. So that's what I mean by like, you know, like we had the, what was it called where you flip it? The, you know, I'm talking about where you flip the thing. You have to know what this is, Joe. The flip phone. Right? No, but it's not a flip phone. It was a sidekick. Come on, Joe. Oh, sidekick. Yeah, sidekick. T- T-Mobile sidekick. Yeah, that was that sidekick. I had a Razor. Yeah, so those phones, even if people were recording, the quality so bad. If it was me, you can't yeah. even tell. But nowadays, you know, athletes, it's like, it's a different type of responsibility because everything you do now is being recorded. So they can make money and all these different things, but I always just take it. It is what it is. Yeah, I saw a video the other day of Kyrie Irving on the court and he told, you know, a Cleveland fans giving him a hard time and he essentially said, Hey mother, whatever, I got you a championship. Yep. Shut the hell up. <laughs> and and it gets recorded, <laughs> it gets online, and then he gets fined. 
And he's like, yo, come on, right? Like, those are the type of things that not only are not good for their PR, maybe, but cost them money, which is unfortunate. And that's tough. Yeah. And that's what I mean by that's a reality. I mean, even players now, you see when they talk to each other, you see coaches, players, you got to cover yeah. your mouth even when you're just talking now because the camera's rolling. I totally agree. All right. So you leave the WNBA, you do the ownership group, you get involved in that. And I know you're the vice president there and you probably have a lot of day-to-day stuff there, but let's talk through kind of everything you're working on today. I know you're doing media, broadcasting, you do podcasts, you're investing, you're part of the Atlanta dream. So just walk me through kind of what you're doing day-to-day. Yeah. So I would say day-to-day, like you talked about the dream, there's, there's responsibilities there. I would just say my weekly type of responsibilities. I'm the general partner at Ballard Ventures. And the thing I love about them is investing in minority and women-led founders and startups. So that's exciting for me because it kind of continues the social justice. It just takes a step further and it really just makes it an action item to me. And then there's Montgomery and Company. We just relaunched and we hit number 44 in the sports category on our opening week. So that was pretty excited. You know, we got picked up by the Leopard and Friends Network. So it's like a, it's a family building there. And then we just recently, on January 21st, dropped Muchos Montgomery's, which is a family blog, because even right now, I'm in New York, I'm going to be on CBS Sports covering men's college basketball. So we travel a lot, and we're around people that people know, and we have fun a lot. So we just thought we would just follow our life and do a little family vlog. So we release that every Friday. And so I just try to have fun. Like, that's one thing I always try to do, whatever it is in my world that I'm doing, I just like to have fun with it. And then if we record or we put it out to the world, so be it. So this may be a difficult question here, but what do you enjoy the most, right? Because the way I think about it is like the front office is one thing, investing is another, the media is completely separate, right? And maybe they overlap to some degree, but most people would think of those as three distinct avenues. So like, what do you enjoy out of these three? I'm assuming all of them. It's crazy because I'm gonna give you a whole nother bucket. And (laughs) I like creating the best. So I didn't even mention because it's like I didn't want to overload, but Serena, my wife and I started Think Tank Productions and we have a couple projects that got green lit that I can't talk about yet, but I'm really excited. So I think that just creating projects and creating new things, I think that's one of my favorite things to do is just to see how to bring projects to life. And so part of this, I'm sure in your role with the dream is thinking obviously about the brand building that you spoke about earlier, but like is growing the game. And I think you have a very unique perspective because you were a player, right? You had that side of the experience and now you're on the other side of the table of someone who can actually implement some of these changes. And I think the players kind of get riled up sometimes because they have all these ideas, but they don't really get to implement anything. And maybe they don't feel like they're heard, but now you have both experiences. So in your mind, like what needs to be done to grow the WNBA here in the United States? You know, I just think that brands have to get on board. It's more so now about the quality of the product. I always call it like if you're thinking of a product, you have to invest in the product. You have to invest in advertising for the product. You have to do all of that. Well, we know the product is good for the WNBA because I played in it. I've seen it. Fans that usually watch it, watch it. But it's more so getting the finances side to come with it. And, and that's brands giving the same deal that they might give to another pro league to the WNBA. That's digital streams in a companies giving the same deal that they would to another league to the WNBA. And again, I know that numbers are different. So if there's different things, but just brands and TV awareness and all of that, I think that's the next step because the product is there. So you don't need to change the play on the court. That's already on point. So if that's something that the people have a problem with, then that's not anything that I think personally should change. I just think the awareness should build around women's basketball. 
Yeah. The way I think about it too, is like, you have to invest in the product to your point, which is yeah. very easy to say. And people always come back and they say, well, the viewership's not the same. Like no shit, the viewership's <laughs> not the same because they don't have the same investment. Right. And when you think about kind of how leagues allocate funds and how they become profitable and how they do all these different things, I mean, you know, you, you're on that side of the business and it's yeah. like, you have to have this commitment from different brands, from media partners, from different people. Otherwise, it all doesn't work, right? The NFL wouldn't be the NFL if they didn't block out a day of the week to compete. Exactly. And the NFL sells cable streams, digital streams. There's a reason that the NFL is the biggest money-making league, period. They sell everything. Like the NFL sells every little thing. If they have five spots of drafting things that they can get into the broadcast they're going to use all five of those spots but you have to have people that want to pay for those spots just look at the new revenue streams that are popping up right crypto's one for sure and if you look at all these major leagues the nfl the nba they're all going out and they're signing exclusive crypto deals which didn't exist before Yeah, crypto. And they're brand new revenue streams. They're two to three to four to 10 times more money than they were making off the previous one if it's an arena sponsor. It's just new capital that's flowing in and it accelerates everything else. So that's one, right? But another one is sports betting. If you look at sports betting, that was non-existent. These leagues get comfortable with it. They have official partners. And the NFL, most people don't realize this, but they did something very smart, which is they limited the number of people that were allowed to advertise on these things, right? And you would think that's not good because the more people you have coming in, the ability to drive revenue gets higher. Ultimately, what they did, yeah, it raised the rate because there's only really four or five serious competitors when it comes to it. And if you want to play in that game, you got to pay the NFL. So I agree. Like when you look at different leagues, there's a reason why the rich get richer, right? They have these opportunities to capitalize when it comes to sponsorships, to media rights, all these different things. And I think for the WNBA, like part of my whole thing with it is just like it takes continued investment. It's not just one company saying, hey, look, we're going to do a big sponsorship deal. It's the media rights, it's the sponsorships, it's everything that goes into it. And it takes activating those. So there's one thing for a company to be like, all right, yeah, I want to be a sponsor. I'll give you $10 to sponsor. But then they don't post it. They don't promote it. They don't do anything. So they just gave you the money and then, okay, hope you do good. No, it needs to be that full on. When you see a commercial for crypto.com arena, it's advertising crypto.com, but it's also helping the Lakers. So it has to be that two way streak of your sponsor and you actually activate. And so from the investing front, whether it's on the VC side or like personal investments, what are you most interested in? Is it things that are relative to sports that you kind of know that avenue? Is it things within crypto? Is it other areas? Yeah, it's that sports health world. Like what apps can help athletes perform better? Because that's the world where I can see in a sense of, yeah, that app wouldn't work or dang, I wish I had that. So if I have that, man, I wish I had that type of feeling. Even if it's a sport I didn't play, that'll get me interested. And then I would say creator economy apps, like those creator-led platforms, those are one of the biggest targets for companies to get their content on there and different things. So I would say those are two things that they're in my wheelhouse of the media world and the sports world. And so I always like to stay in my lane of things I know about. And those are the things I know about. I like that. All right, last one for you. You, in my mind, and I think a lot of other people's minds have done an excellent job of transitioning into business. I think some professional athletes have a difficult time, whether they don't know what they want to do or other reasons, but ultimately it's much more difficult than I think people imagine is, hey, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z after I'm done playing. I'm going to be successful at those things also. And you have obviously shown the ability to do that. So what in your mind, like not only led that success, but how do you think about it for other athletes today? It's really crazy if people, I think athletes, like I want to hire athletes. That's would be my thought process because athletes 
have a habit of being disciplined and have a habit of being good teammates because that's just something you have to do to be an athlete. So I would say I really, I know a lot of people say this, but I am me at all times in the business space. And I think that's what helps me be successful because people know that I'm trying to be real. And even if I don't know something, like, and I say something that maybe isn't right. And like, people are like, huh, I'm like, okay, so maybe that ain't it, huh? Forgive me, I'm an athlete. Like, you know, I just use my authentic self to put myself out there because I don't know why people feel like athletes aren't qualified in some areas just because we haven't had the work experience, but half of the self-help books that people read, that people love, that people share, it's like, I can't read any of them because it's everything that I learned probably in the eighth grade on my team or the ninth grade, because it's everything they teach you every day in sports. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these self-help books, but I understand why people want them. It's just athletes already have it. Yeah, yeah. Sports is like a self-help book on steroids, right? It's <laughs> always. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you don't need any of that. Every day, yeah. in sports. You got to yeah, help yourself get through every day because you got the fans, you got the coaches, you got the way you know you played and you could play better. We have to self-help ourselves every day. Yeah, I totally agree. You don't know this, but I have four brothers. Our parents, you know, we we obviously enjoyed it, but they made us play essentially every sport you could imagine growing up. Basketball, football, <laughs> baseball, we played golf, everything you could imagine. And it wasn't to be like, oh, which one are you good at? Let's pick this. Let's do it as hard as we can. We were in luckily a, a fortunate enough to position where we had other things to do. But ultimately what it was, was like, we want you to learn the lessons that you're going to learn through sports. And it was yep. everything that you mentioned. It's teamwork, it's perseverance, it's working hard, it's doing everything that these books teach you, but you actually learn it through doing. So <laughs> I, I I am completely on board with the idea of hiring athletes. I think that is good advice. All right, I'm going to let you go. I love this interview. You were excellent. You're media trained. It's like straight to the point, no wasted words. Yo, you Unbelievable. Good, Joe. Okay, I got you. <laughs> haven't met. I've been following you on Twitter, but it's nice to meet you, IRL Joe, and you are like your tweets. I appreciate you. Where can we send people if they want to listen to the podcast or see more from you on Twitter and stuff? I mean, just follow me at Renee Montgomery on all social platforms. And I'm always tweeting and talking to people about everything. Like yesterday, I asked if church folks, when they break up, do they switch churches? Like, is that awkward? So I just, <laughs> I chit chat on there all the time, but I also show what's going on in my world weekly. So at Renee Montgomery on all socials. I must have missed that one. That's uh, <laughs> that's my fault, but that's a good one. I like that one. All right, Renee, thank you so much for doing this and we'll have to do it again soon. Thanks, Joe. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.